Hello, good morning and welcome to the show. My name is Gavin Duffy and today I will be interviewing head coach Peter Laird from the sports science department at Napier University. I will be asking a range of questions that revolve around sports science. These questions are focused on general physical fitness, the types of training techniques available and how exercise affects the human body. My name is Peter Laird, I'm a lecturer in sport and exercise science, specialised in sports coaching. been at Napier here for eight, nine years now. Got a background in sports coaching, including coaching basketball, athletics, football, rugby, American football. Sports science is the sort of generic name for the sciences that attach themselves to sport. So within sports science we have subcategories such as biomechanics, physiology, psychology, sports coaching, sports injuries. There's also various other subcategories such as nutrition and also immunology. And really what we're trying to do in sports science is to use what we know about the body, about the brain, about the way that we learn in order to give athletes the best advantage possible in order to perform at their peak. I also study in performance analysis, which is really the science behind analysing team player individual performance and looking at how it's been performed, measuring the performance and then making adjustments to the performance to get athletes to perform better. So we can look at tactical play or we can look at individual performances. So we could look at somebody's golf swing, for instance, and measure velocity of the club head and determine whether or not the muscles are being used efficiently. Or we could look at a football team conceding a goal or scoring a goal and see how it was done in order to try and replicate it more often. Or less often if it's conceding a goal. It was really about trying to give my teams an edge and it was about analysing the way that players practised, looking at them individually, but also how they performed as a team during game days. So like any sport, your team will make mistakes. So it's about trying to eradicate the mistakes. And so you, you can use something like video analysis in order to get them to look at their own problems or mistakes and so that next time you play, you're fully prepared. Well, I, I believe the, the message of health and exercise is really important. And what we do on the course is try and pass that message on to the students. We have a mixed variety of students who come from sports backgrounds and also students who are interested in just in exercise and working with the public. So, you know, it's about, partially the message is about how to get athletes better and how to work most effectively with athletes. So as a coach, that's obviously vital for me to, to make sure that people enjoy their sport when they do it, but also to get more people healthy and fit and taking part in exercise. Cardiovascular training is all about trying to improve your heart and your lungs to work more efficiently. Our oxygen transportation system is obviously affected by the heart and the lungs breathe in oxygen. We have to feed the muscles in the body so the heart pumps the nutrients around the body. Our body then produces fumes if you like and we have to exhale those fumes so again the, the blood returns to the heart and then the bad stuff's exhaled. So obviously the, the more efficient your heart and lungs are the, the more likely you are. To, to be cardiovascularly fit. So you would train for that by doing any type of exercise work that gets your heart rate working into your training zone, and that's a percentage of your maximum heart rate, depends on your age. And then we would ask you as an individual to work for 20 minutes plus in order to start working on the cardiovascular system. Muscles come in antagonistic pairs. For hamstrings, we've got quads. For biceps, we have triceps. Those are the sort of main engines when it comes to working in sport. We're talking about the force production muscles. Obviously, endurance comes also from our middle of our body and from our core. So that's we would look at also improving on abdomen work and our core muscles as well. So those are the major muscle groups. But obviously, you know, our body's covered in muscle. You might require specific muscular work 
for particular sports. A professional athlete would actually do many different types of exercise and training. They would do skill and technique work, but depending on their sport, they would look at also doing cardiovascular work, such as running, muscular endurance work, which they can do in the gym, or they can do swimming. They do strength work in the weights rooms, that might be for muscle bulk, or it might just be for core strength, or it might just be to increase body size. We have flexibility training for injury prevention, and we also have things such as plyometrics, which is bouncing or ballistic type of work, which is done in order to produce more power. A combination of training techniques is probably the best thing. You have to be very sport specific. You have to be specific to what your requirements are for your sport. It's like a goalkeeper in football would have a different training regime from a striker. However, a combination of strength, cardiovascular work and flexibility work. And I'm also a big advocate on looking at agility work and also having some enhanced power work through plyometrics as well. So it's a real mixed bag, you've got to be busy. Sports science is leading the way in, in terms of the way that athletes train. Athletes are faster and stronger now, and it's really through the implication of sorry, the application of sports science that's caused that professional football teams usually have a sports scientist assigned to them. They have video analysts assigned to them. Athletes eat differently today. You know, they don't have a, a packet of fags and then the pub after a game anymore. They they eat the right types of food. They have the right recovery time. They prepare for tournaments correctly, uh, and that's all down to sports science. What you tend to find with elite athletes, if you watch them, you wouldn't necessarily see what was wrong with performance. If you watch a gymnast at the Olympics, working on the beam, you might not be able, you or I wouldn't be able to distinguish the difference between them. So you need some type of performance analysis in order to be able to determine what was incorrect about the performance, what needs correction, or what was wrong. Particularly with fast movement, it's really hard to catch. And, and we also see that in tactical play as well with team sports. If you think about watching a game of footy on the telly, the camera tends to watch the guy with the ball. And actually there's 10 other people who should be doing something. We know that if you're genuinely fit, your heart and lungs work more efficiently. So therefore, our body is much better at producing more energy. It's almost like you work out, you expend energy in order to get more energy. If you're lazy, you become more lethargic. The right types of food will also enhance the way that you feel and improve your energies. Again, the transportation system is vital in this. If you drink alcohol and eat pizza and chips every night, you're going to get fat and sluggish. Whereas if you're eating fruit and drinking water, it helps the oxygen transportation system, gets rid of toxins more quickly from the body as well. It improves people's outlooks, it increases motivation and increases confidence. Exercise makes us more sociable, makes us feel better about our physical appearance as well, so that has a psychological advantage. There's still instances of athletes who have, you know, who can suffer depression and so on. So it's not a, a cure for mental illness or mental depression. However, it, it can alleviate some minor issues by increasing confidence, again, improving self-image, which can often be a, a problem for a lot of people. Well, there, there's a huge link in terms of exercise physiology and exercise immunology where sports scientists are working in conjunction with lab technicians in order to help look at how to get more red blood cells into the body or getting the oxygen transportation system to work much more efficiently. We do a lot of work at Napier in an environmental chamber that measures how the body copes with toxins in the air and also how the body copes with extreme heat and cold environmental temperature like pollution. Lactic acid is, in simple terms, your handbrake. If 
you're running really fast. Right, well, in fact, if you cycle on a stationary bike in a, in a gym, after about a minute, your legs start to feel really tired and you're no, lo no longer able to cycle as fast as you possibly can. And that's because your body can't cope with that extreme speed for any length of time or your muscles start to get damaged. So lactic acid is the handbrake that basically slows your body down and tells you you can't work any faster. And it'd be the same for a sprinter. You, there's a noticeable drop off in speed, for instance, between 100 and 200 meter runners. You can just double the time from 100 to 200 meters. As soon as you start going at 400 meters, it's double the time plus a bit more because the lactic acid is kicking in. Lots of studies to suggest that music affects mood state and mood state obviously would make us feel better. There's also been studies to show that music at a certain tempo would help us exercise much more efficiently. So a higher tempo helps us exercise harder. Well, extreme heat causes the athlete to sweat more. And therefore, through perspiration, they lose more water, they lose body weight, and therefore unable, the body's unable to cope working at higher levels for a longer period of time. So you have to rehydrate whilst you're exercising at heat. And cold weather is the likelihood of injury is more likely to occur because the muscles get colder whilst they're performing harder exercises. Steroids is just a catch-all name for any designer drug which allows the body to train harder. And the way that it does that, it doesn't increase muscle bulk, it just basically allows an athlete to do more training. Doesn't it sort of alleviates tiredness and fatigue so the athlete won't feel as tired after completing a training session and therefore they're able to do more work. They still have to lift the weight or run the distance. But there's all sorts of different types of steroids from things like EPO which is all about improving cardiovascular endurance to anabolic steroids which are designed to increase muscle bulk and strength. There are it's illegal in a lot of countries in Europe to even be caught in possession of steroids. So, whilst in the UK there are medical reasons for some of these steroids being out in the public domain, but there's all sorts of types of drugs that athletes can use to improve performance. Insulin, for one, a drug used by diabetics, can be used to improve cardiovascular performance. Basically to, to try and stay as fit as possible by taking part in cardiovascular endurance, for cardiovascular fitness for everyday activities, you know, being able to do three times 20 minutes a week would be enough to keep you active for life. Well, diet helps the recovery process, so we know that the right types of food allows you to recover after exercise. So water, fruit helps the transportation system. We also have carbohydrates that are needed in order to fuel the body. That's, carbohydrates are basically the, the petrol in the body, so breads, pastas, wholemeal foods contain carbohydrates, so they're the quick energy release system. Well, a workout session could be anything from going for a run. For a complete beginner, you would get them to run at a comfortable pace. Ideally, for a beginner, you'd want to hook them up to a heart rate monitor, which could just be in the, in the form of a pulse watch. And they have to monitor their heart rate whilst they're running so their heart rate doesn't go out with their training zone and certainly wouldn't want them going above their maximum heart rate. For a complete novice, obviously, you don't want them to injure or hurt themselves or have a bad experience or they're not gonna come back. So therefore, training zone's important. You get them to run 20 minutes plus or walk or whatever they're required to do just within their training zone to keep the heart rate up. Well, the 
For active life, the recommendation is three times 20 minutes. Ideally, it should be five times 20 minutes. If you were training for your sport, then you would be looking at between three to five training sessions a week, depending on the intensity that you were working at and the type of training that you did. So perhaps a combination of cardiovascular work and strength work. A lot of people who are scared to make the first step, it's just a fear of the unknown. So it would be a case of them approaching somebody, perhaps a sports center, or perhaps they could go down to a local fitness club, or they could do some research online and find jogging networks and make contact. And it's that first step is the important thing. I do believe in sport for all. For instance, in Edinburgh, Edinburgh Leisure charged £6.60 a time at peak, in peak hours, regardless of whether or not you're on minimum wage or a high earner which quite frankly is ridiculous and unacceptable. It's just an excessive amount of money you would expect somebody to pay in order to try and get fit and healthy. Private clubs obviously make their money from selling a monthly subscription and hope that you don't go because they oversell them. Health clubs are looking for personal trainer to have a level three in fitness training and above. Okay, and that can, they can obtain that level three through previous study and APL, which is approved prior learning, and that allows them to get into the field of personal training. Most employers would insist that they took a first aid certificate of some kind. They would usually supply the course for the personal trainer to go on, and of course those first aid certificates usually lapse every three years, so they have to keep those up to date. However, if you're in your personal employment, if you're self-employed and a personal trainer, it's really up to yourself to make sure that you're first aid qualified and you, you would advertise to your clients that you would be able to, to cope in, in terms of a medical emergency. If you had enough money you could use a personal trainer. If however you if you lack the knowledge or understanding of what was involved then I would sort of maybe suggest to you that a personal trainer might be a way to get started. However some people tend to use personal trainers as the motivator to keep them training and what I hope people would achieve is that through learning more about exercise and learning what to do in order to keep fit they would then become self-motivated to do that and be able to do the exercises themselves. Personal trainers often come from a fitness background, they're athletes or retired athletes themselves with an interest in strength and conditioning or cardiovascular work and really hopefully they're, they're fit individuals themselves, hopefully role models to their clients who want to try and encourage them to become better people through fitness. Thanks Peter Laird, that was very interesting. I hope all you listeners have taken note of what Peter has said. Thanks for listening, goodbye.